Hey friends, welcome to The Beat Goes On, a pro-life podcast hosted by Piedmont Women's Center in Greenville, South Carolina. If you've been looking for a pro-life podcast to help you better understand the pro-life position and other issues surrounding it, navigate sensitive conversations with clarity, confidence, and kindness, and understand and stay up to date on the latest pro-life news and legislation, The Beat Goes On is the podcast for you. Our hope at Piedmont Women's Center is that the Beat Goes On podcast will bring clarity to your thoughts and equip and empower you with the confidence to humbly serve the women and men in your community. Let's get started. All right, friends, welcome back to The Beat Goes On. On today's episode, we have a special guest with us. Her name is Melissa Mannion, and I found Melissa through Instagram. I saw someone post about her. Um, She had a segment that was going to come out on Fox News where Fox was interviewing two moms, um, one who is pro-life and one who is pro-choice and asking them the same questions, and I'm getting their responses. So reach out to Melissa, and she said that she would join us, and we're so excited to have you here today. So welcome to the podcast. Yes, Whitney, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. Okay, so to start out with, um, like I said, I found you through Instagram, and we've been chatting a little bit beforehand now, but I don't know you super well. So can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, maybe a little bit about your family? Sure, sure. So um, I am uh, a at-home mom, primarily. Um, I have been for a number of years now. I have four incredible children. Um, I say that I came with two in tow to my marriage. So um, part of my story is that I have a 26-year-old son. Um, He's my only son. He's uh, down in Florida working on his master's degree. And then I have uh, my 19-year-old daughter. um, And uh, who, side note, actually, uh, we just found out is pregnant herself. So, yes. So exciting. It is. It is. You know, teenage pregnancy is um, is not easy. I was the same mm-hmm. age. Actually, she's only months apart from me. Um, and uh, but she is in a uh, she's in a very good she's in a good place uh, and uh, ton of support. We all love her dearly and uh, and she's excited. And so. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I feel like it's it will end up being another example of God's sovereignty over um over our choices, which is what we're here probably to talk about today. So, mm-hmm. so that's my 19 year old daughter. And then, uh, my husband and I also have two daughters, um, uh, who are, uh, 10 and nine. So, okay. and we have a puppy. Yes. A new puppy. <laughs> <laughs> nine <Yeah>. weeks old. <laughs> nine weeks old. And you said you had him for five days or her. It's a her, right? Her. She, yes. Winifred. Yeah, we days. call her, we call What's her, her Winnie. Winifred. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. We call her Winnie and <clears throat> really, it's after uh, Win Dixie, not Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's one of my all-time favorite movies, and uh, and then found out that the name means uh, reconciled and blessed and joy. And I thought, you know what, our family, we we've earned this. We've earned this wow. spot. So it just that's fit. perfect. It that's fit. A cute yeah. dog name. Okay, so how did you end up on Fox News? Oh my gosh. Uh, God, first and foremost, for sure. Um, so yeah, so like I said, I'm, I, you know, I'm at home, um, but I write about my my blog is called Boasting About My Weaknesses, um, and that verse has always meant so much to me. Um, that in our weaknesses, when we when we see when others primarily, well, when we and others can see the strength of the Lord through our weakness, that you know we're not called to be strong ourselves; we're strong in Him, and also the you know beauty for ashes. Um, that the Bible talks about is, is just so, it's so profound in my life um, and means so much to me. And so I felt a calling on my life to share, to share. Um, I have, I've had years and years of various traumas, honestly, from the time that I was born. Um, And, um, and so, and then subsequently my, my two older children have had their own versions of, of traumas also, um, you know, that as a mother, I walked alongside them through that and to see how the Lord has made beauty from ashes, um, has just to say that it's bolstered my faith is an understatement. And I found that when I was willing to share these experiences, the Lord has always 
before I even knew who he was, honestly, he has had me being very open, very honest, very transparent, just what you see is what you get with me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I had no issue and felt led to speak and sharing. And so I, um, through that ended up making, you know, various connections, various decisions, um, and primarily, um, around my abortion that I had had. Um, and in that, over the years, the Lord had showed me a few different areas that, that he was asking about. First and, f- first and foremost, he had audibly spoken to me years ago and said, um, we're going to walk through this now, and then you're going to go out and help others. And uh, I abruptly said, no, thank you. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you must have me confused. You know, and I also was like, let me pull out my Rolodex of other things that I could talk about, Lord. You know, I, I have no problem talking about any of this stuff, but that, like, if we could just leave that alone. And um, so you didn't re- initially want to talk about your abortion? No, okay. no. And um, and I'm not alone in that. Um, I think a big part of the reason that it seems um, or that the overwhelming voices that you're hearing are more pro-choice voices um, are, there's lots of reasons. One of them is that the vast majority of us are silent. Um, and there's so many reasons for that. You know, we're, we are scared, you know, um, all of the women that I have spoken to, and at this time it's innumerable, the amount of women that I have spoken to. And I, and I can truly say that personally, personally, I do not know anyone who had an abortion, who is, who is, uh, who did not regret that decision. Um, and did not go through, need to go through a healing process in order to, to find freedom from that, uh, from the pain and the shame and the regret and um, the deep loss that you feel uh, there's no space for. Um, and so how does one heal from something that they shouldn't even be grieving in the first place? Yeah, um, because I mean, there's that whole movement of shout your abortion. So it makes women feel like if they any kind of grief or trauma from that, that they don't have a place to talk about it because they're supposed to be proud of that. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And what are we mourning, right? Which of course our, our, our country has come so far, you know, from rare, you know, legal and safe to on demand. So, um, you know, we do now also have voices, which is why to answer your question, getting to that, um, one of the primary pushes for me to share my abortion story was when Michelle Williams got up on stage and accepted her, you know, award um, and literally said, you know, while holding her golden globe, uh, you know, I think it was a golden globe. It was golden. (laughs) Her (laughs) award, she said, um, and I wouldn't have this if not for the women's right to choose. Mm. And it, rocked me to my core that now not only are we trying to make abortion accessible and quote unquote safe, but now we're going to applaud it. We're going to put it on a grand stage as a necessary means to success to women. And to me, it cut hard it cut hard um, because I do want to empower women. I do want to encourage women. I do. I, I have such a burden on my heart to shout my abortion <laughs> because it's not the answer. It's not yeah. what you're looking for. And like I said, um, there those stories don't get the media. Um, And it's not just that they don't get the media. It is partially that, that there is censorship and that there is, uh, you know, a a desire for a certain narrative to go out, um, especially now with Roe, um, you know, being overturned. However, on the other side of that, there's also a lot of women and men 
and men yeah. um, who Something will else we don't talk about. Their, yeah, who will live the rest of their lives never sharing this story um, yeah. because it's too painful, it's too shameful, it's too it's too much. It's and I mean I've been attacked even you know by people who are proponents, uh, you know, calling me a hypocrite and these types of things. So it's it's not a um, there's a plethora of reasons, but it's not that we don't exist. <laughs> it's just that we're not being heard. Yeah. Um, and so, so in did, that, yeah. oh, sorry. Oh, no, did they, so did Fox find your blog or did? So, so what ended up happening was through my healing process, I decided uh, one of the things that I needed to do or wanted to do was I was going to go to the March for Life. Um, and I just wanted to be a part of it. It's something I had always known about and uh, had never been, had never felt like I could go for sure. Um, and so I went out there and the first year it was- Why primarily... did you feel like you couldn't go? I thought there is no way that I, for one, I did what these women and men are out here marching to try to put an end to, you know, and what will they think about me? How will they mm. view me? What will they, you know, um, what will they say if they know, you know, was part of it. And the other part of it was um, I felt there's no way emotionally I could handle it, um, you know, because I was I was pro-life. I, I was I've never been pro-choice I, mm -hmm. to me. To me, the idea that there was a choice involved was absurd. It didn't make any sense to me um, because that's the other thing, too. I don't know if it's that people don't understand or that they just don't want to acknowledge, but the overwhelming majority of abortions are women just like me, women who just felt like I can't do this yeah. for one reason or another. Uh, you know, we're not talking about women who have a life or death situation. We're not even actually talking about, you know, the 10 year old that now the whole United States is talking about, you know, which I have lots of thoughts on that too. None of which involving the fact that I do believe that 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 could have very easily been looked at as a medical situation. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about a ten-year-old child, um, and I believe that they uh, exploited her trauma, yeah. uh, and that's a whole other conversation. Trauma on but, top of trauma, yeah. Correct, and 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 you know, and and honestly, I I you know I I. I will say that I'm, I'm actually not a proponent for abortion as an answer to rape though, because it, it isn't. And, yeah. and I speak from, um, deeply personal experience with that, not myself, but someone exceptionally close to me that was pro-choice, um, that became pro-life after she was raped, um, at a, at a young age, um, and recognized, oh my gosh, if I'm pregnant right now, um, and I end this child's life. She was, she was on the side of, um, I don't know that I would have an abortion, but I could never tell someone else mm -hmm. what to do. And primarily, honestly, with the cases of rape, she felt very strongly that if someone was raped, that, you know, how could you tell them what to do? And then when she found herself in that actual situation, um, it shone light on the fact that this child didn't ask to be conceived in such a way. And so how does perpetrating violence upon this yeah. innocent child fix the problem when the real, uh, the real issue is the perpetrator of the violence in the first place. And the person who needs to have the consequences is the rapist himself, not the child. Yeah. Um, so, having said that, which I think is really important because that's where people go really quickly. Um, the overwhelming majority of abortions, even by Planned Parenthood's own statistics themselves and researches and, and the Gutmeyer studies that are generally accepted on, on, you know, mm -hmm. all platforms. Um, it's almost 80% and some say even higher, um, are people just like me. Um, and so, I think the conversation needs to, to stay to stay there for the most part, because um, I do believe that we can work through, you know, helping people to understand, for example, that an ectopic pregnancy is not a abortion, for example. Yeah. And, and there's such a ton of like education that. that needs to happen. Correct. Yes. Yeah, and so, for sure. Having said all of that, um, you know, I felt very uh, wary of my ability to emotionally withstand standing yeah. with tens of thousands of people marching in our state capital, 
for something that I believed in and yet still chose abortion. Um, did you feel maybe, did you feel a little, I know you said you felt scared, but did you feel a little hypocritical as well? You know, it's a good question because typically when that word is thrown at me, it's not framed for me to actually have an opportunity to think about it. Um, I don't believe that I felt hypocritical. What I believe is that there are complicated stories behind many abortions. Mm -hmm. I would, would venture to say that there are only a small fringe minority of people, despite the trash that you can see on the internet sometimes who are actually thrilled about their abortion. So knowing that I knew that I did not want to have an abortion, I knew that I had a baby in my womb. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. Go ahead and share your story. We can come back to how you got on Fox later, because I think like maybe you telling your story can lead. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I was trying to kind of do it backwards because no, not... that's okay. Um, yeah, let's just because, you know, we're getting bits and pieces. So let's just walk us through because you said you're pro-life. So kind of just walk us through your story a little bit. Sure. I would be happy to share my story. Uh, so for me, um, it really actually began when I became pregnant at 19. Um, I, at the time, was in a, an abusive relationship. Uh, primarily due to drugs and alcohol being involved in the vast majority of the relationship and found myself pregnant. Um, I was both terrified and elated at the same time because honestly, prior to this particular relationship, I really didn't drink or do drugs. So I think there was kind of a part of me that felt like I'm going to be that person, right? I'll be that person where this child comes and, you know, saves my life, so to speak. And, um, and I was, like I said, to me, um, I knew that I had a human being residing in my womb and I had no right to end its life, despite the circumstances that I found myself in, which would have been plenty for many people to justify an abortion. Um, and so um, the condensed version is that uh, I chose to have my son. There really wasn't a choice for me. Um, I was going to have this child and it wasn't easy by any stretch. Did you even consider abortion at all for that first pregnancy? Nope. No. Okay. Not at all. Um, I immediately stopped drinking. I immediately stopped doing drugs. I mean, it was, it was, it was, um, looking back now, uh, you know, it shows the power of God, even when you don't know him, even when you're not talking to him. Um, he was with me and holding me and holding that child for sure. Um, because, by all accounts. I mean, I was even concerned that there could be things wrong with him. I mean, I was actually very pregnant. I was, I was, I was, you know, a couple months pregnant when I even found out that, that I was pregnant. And so, um, I, uh, so I had my son and like I said, it was not, it was not easy. I'm not going to pretend that it was easy. Um, being 19, being pregnant, having a child, um, trying to, be a mom, you know, uh, trying to do the best I could. Um, it was challenging. However, um, his life is so valuable regardless. Um, and through the trials and tribulations that continued over the years, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, he's now 26 years old and down in Florida getting his master's degree. Um, and I'm incredibly, uh, you know, proud of him and the young man that he has turned out to be. And I primarily was a single mom also. Um, you know, his dad um, continued with the drugs and the drinking, uh, almost died actually when my son was in high school. And um, so again, it wasn't easy, um, but we did it. We did it. And so when he was um, about three, I had left his dad and uh, very quickly got into a, another relationship. I'd been with his father for seven years and uh, very quickly got into another relationship with a young guy that I had known from high school. And um, the relationship moved quickly. And within three months, I was, I was pregnant. Um, 
and still feeling the same way. Still, abortion was not on the table. Um, I was more concerned, I think, now because, you know, frankly, I barely knew this person. We'd only been together for three months, you know. However, and this is a big part of my story, um, he was amazing. He did everything right. I mean, he um, began working extra. He was like, whatever you need, whatever you want, I love you. We can get married. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here for this baby. He was excited. He was proud. He was happy. He, I mean, his own family actually um, was, was very upset. Um, some of his family really wanted nothing to do with me. And subsequently then him, because he was choosing me and this baby. Um, and admittedly, the more that I'm telling this story, the more that I'm realizing how uncomfortable on the inside that probably made me coming from seven years of not really being chosen over things. Mm -hmm. um, and so in my fear, um, after at least a month um, of planning for this child, we told family, we told friends, we told coworkers, we, uh, my mother made a cake, um, you know, although it wasn't ideal, it was being celebrated by the people that were willing to celebrate it with us. Um, however, like I said, um, there was strife and I was feeling a lot of it and it was starting to cause some arguments between us and some fighting. And I was realizing that, um, you know, this is you I, and the dad. Yeah. That, okay. you know, I didn't love him. I, you know, I was, frankly, I was still in love with my son's father. We were, you know, we'd been together for seven years and everything happened so fast. And so I went to a friend's house and, um, the conversation began that um, I uh, I was going to leave him, that I, I didn't want to stay in the relationship. I could be a single mom of two kids. Greg is doing great. It'll be fine. Um, I can do this. That's my son. And um, it turned, though. It turned to you do realize you have another option. And to this day, I actually don't really remember what happened in my mind, what happened in my heart. I, I, all I remember is I changed my mind in an instant, in a literal instant. And I remember going home and I remember calling Planned Parenthood immediately and making the appointment. And there was an urgency behind them to get me in because I was pushing my second trimester. Um, and uh, I had to go from the Cape to Boston because they weren't doing abortions on the Cape. And a friend brought me, I don't remember the drive. Um, trauma has erased a lot of it from my mind. Um, I remember being in the waiting room. Um, I remember it being so somber and just cold um, emotion, like less except for this somber sense, you know? Um, and I remember, I remember being in the operating room. I remember uh, a person that I believe was the doctor. Um, no consultation. No, this is what's going to happen. Um, that's been a big revelation to me recently that I knew that I had a, that I had a baby in my womb and I knew that I was ending that baby's life. What I didn't realize was how that was going to happen. I don't know what I thought. And I can rem I've talked to other women who I felt were really, honestly, I judged them as naive when they would say like, well, I didn't really know what was happening. And, you know, and they didn't even mean it in regards to the procedure itself. They meant like, literally, they didn't know what was happening. And I remember thinking how naive and now I feel terrible because I don't know what I thought was happening. But I assure you that if someone had explained it to me, if someone had said, you know, we're going to put, you know, a, a tube in and we are going to vacuum suction your child piece by piece out of your womb, um, there's no way I would have gone through with it. So no one explained anything to you about the procedure? No, mm -hmm. no. 
I don't remember the ultrasound. I would assume that I had one. I've tried to get my um, records from them. It's it's certainly long past the time to do that. But um, no, there was no counseling. There was it was just sign on the dotted line and put this gown on. And um, I was slightly sedated, which now I'm thinking. Um, I, I I've been reading now that they actually sometimes give Xanax or things like that to. Um, to patients. So I'm guessing that maybe that's what it was, um, because I was awake, but I remember being like, like I said, I remember feeling very, just numb, very numb. Um, and I remember tears, but not actual crying. And I remember during the procedure, during the procedure. Yeah. yeah. And I remember the sound I remember the sound of that machine for over a decade, over a decade. Um, it literally haunted me, literally haunted me. And then I remember the next thing I remember was being in a recovery room, so to speak. It was really more like a corral with sheets hanging and uh, drapes hanging, um, you know, and hearing other women crying and wailing. And, um, in that moment, I, I did pray. <laughs> in that moment, I prayed to whomever I thought God was and asked, please forgive me. Um, and then I thought, this is it. I'll just walk away, right? That's what they tell you. Um, I'll be okay. And my life will go on and it'll be better without this problem and uh that's not real it doesn't go away um and so it was years later actually that uh because i tried i i, I lied to everyone i um i told my family and my friends that the people closest very close to me knew um but everyone else i told them i had a miscarriage okay. um, and uh Yeah. So did and, it start bothering you right after, or was it several years before? Immediately. Kind of getting I, immediately? I, it bothered me before I stepped foot in the door. Um, so were you, were you having doubts on your, after you made the decision and on your way there? I, I was, and I just pushed them down. You, you know, I, I subscribed to the, my body, my choice. I subscribed to the, I have a right to do this. It's just what I have to do. It's what's best for me. It's what's best for my son. It's what's best for my life. Um, I mean, I don't remember a ton of thought because any time that I did think of it, um, I would just push it away. I, I knew because I knew. I knew. I wasn't someone that was confused on what essentially what was happening. You know, um, I, I was not. Because you said the, you were pro-life. Yes. It was a child. Like they, they used yeah. to have the bumper stickers back then in the eighties and nineties that said, you know, mm -hmm. it's a child, not a choice. I fully believed that. And not because of any religious reason or, you know, um, because of the Bible verses that clearly tell us this, I didn't know those verses. I just knew science and I knew that mm -hmm. there's only one way to make a child. And this is a child or a baby or however anyone would like to be sure that we call it correctly. Um, it is a human being. That's the only thing that comes from, you know, having intercourse and creating a life inside of your womb. It is a human life. And I never doubted that. So I knew what I was doing. So I had to stuff it down because I was not okay with it. I was not someone that felt like Michelle Williams that, um, well, this is just what I need to do. And this, this award that I want to get in the future means more to me than this child's life. Um, because essentially that's what you're saying. That's what the message is saying. You know, I have these goals and these aspirations. I mean, it's frankly, it's self idolatry, yeah. you know, and mm -hmm. I think that callousness, um, and even numbness, because we speak to different women here and sometimes you know, when they share their stories, some of them are like you and it bothered them immediately. And some of them just say, I just, I didn't feel anything. I think that is also a sign of trauma, you trauma. know, where hundred yeah. percent. So, it's not necessarily that she's all okay. It's just manifested in a different way, possibly. 
Correct. Well, and I also believe that innately as human beings, we don't like pain. We don't want pain. We don't want suffering, right? We'll do whatever we can to avoid pain and suffering. And so if you believe the narrative that that, that this life inside of you is going to create pain and suffering for you, and that the answer to that can be to eliminate the life that is inside you in order to avoid pain and suffering, once you do that, I feel like you have a strong obligation even to just continue to forge on in that belief because what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. The alternative is facing that maybe maybe you were wrong. Maybe that wasn't the answer. Maybe you didn't have to do that. And the pain that comes from trying to reconcile that, it's astronomical. Yeah. So I actually don't, I get it. I can see why, you know, as a matter of fact, I I would venture to say that a lot of pro-choice people had abortions, you know, because you have to believe something. So what are you going to believe? And you're not likely going to believe something that could cause you a tremendous amount of pain and suffering when you did this in the first place to avoid pain and suffering. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. We're doing comedy. Like, like, how's this going to work out, really? I mean, some people are like, I just came to see this thing explode. Hey, friends, Kayla Suleiman here. The last two years have been a little stressful and crazy, haven't they? Because of that, Piedmont Women's Center wants to invite you to a night of fun and laughter. On September 29th, we've invited comedian Michael Jr. to host our annual Night for Life to celebrate life and family. You like your parents? Yeah. Cool. Which one you like the best? My mama. (laughs) This Night for Life will be a family-friendly event, so bring the kiddos and invite your friends for a night of fun. The Night for Life and Laughter will be September 29th at 7 p.m. at Bob Jones University. You can purchase tickets for the entire family by going to piedmontwomencenter.org slash n4l again that's piedmontwomencenter.org slash n the number four l we can't wait to see you and your family there when ultrasounds come in color now did you know that which is ridiculous i know it's a black baby (laughs) it better be a black baby So walk us through the years following that, kind of what you dealt with and how you started on your your healing process. Absolutely. So for me, it was, um, it was, I say that it was instantaneous. However, I want to say that I didn't realize or recognize that that's what was happening. I didn't, I just assumed because I came from a life that had a lot of trauma, um, that oh well you know the way that i say it is that my abortion was was the nail in the coffin for me it was any hope that i had at that point in my life of overcoming of rising above of beating the statistics of of being able to 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 feel value and worth and confidence and um you know good about myself once i made that decision that was all out the window. Um, and I didn't recognize though, until a decade later that that was my thought process. Um, I just kept on keeping on basically, you know, I did what you're, what they tell you to do. Just keep on going, just keep moving. It's okay. You're allowed to do this. You did a thing you were allowed to do. Don't let anybody tell you any different. So just keep going. And I never really thought about it too much though, because I never actually believed that in the first place. So, I just kept going. And honestly, I spiraled out of control. The year after my abortion was one of the worst years, if not the worst year of of my life. Um, uh, Between promiscuity, depression, anxiety, um, you know, I I, I even overdosed, honestly, and ended up in the hospital. Um, So, you know, I do believe I, I never 
actually attempted suicide. However, I was attempting suicide a lot yeah. in, in the way that I was behaving um, because it was reckless abandon, yeah. you know, and by the grace of God, um, I, I moved, I finally moved. I, I, I felt like I have to get it out of here. I can't stay here. Um, and so I moved back to my hometown of Springfield um, and unfortunately got into another abusive relationship, significantly worse, honestly, um, mental and emotional abuse that, that my daughter, that, that I got my daughter from. Um, and uh, so it wasn't until... I was with that man for seven years uh, also, and uh, finally had the strength to leave. Um, and it wasn't until then that, and I was trying everything. I was just so broken inside. I, I was just desperate. And I had these two beautiful children that I was trying, like during the day, I like put on the face, you know, and I went out and I worked and I did what I needed to do and I took care of them and, um, and, you know, I would just cry myself to sleep at night feeling like, what is my life? Like, I've just, it's just a mess. And I tried everything but Jesus. <laughs> and uh, because God is so gracious and so good, um, he patiently waited for me to turn my uh, my ear towards him. And um, and I came to a relationship with, with the Lord and immediately so much shame was lifted from me so much pain was lifted from me just in the decision to follow him and start reading his word and learning how much he loved me and cared for me and i read the purpose driven life and realized oh my gosh like all this mess lord like you're going to do something with it it just seemed so miraculous and it is miraculous and and i was a new creation just like they say simply by just saying jesus i i want you in my life i need you in my life and you know, the gospel is real. And, mm -hmm. and also I still hid that part. And it was like, I knew, it was like, I knew, I know, you know, Lord. And I remembered, I remembered praying and I remembered thinking you're there, you know, and I don't know who you are or what you are or whatever, but I just, something inside of me cried out to him even in that moment after having my abortion. And so years later, when I come to a relationship with him, it was brought back to my mind. And, um, but I couldn't reconcile it. Even though I felt like the Lord was telling me, I've forgiven you. You asked in that moment that you asked me, I did, you know, which was just mind blowing, right? Like how, yeah. what, you know, who am I? Right. And um, so it took probably another two years um, of walking with him through so many trials and so many pains and just giving him so much and him being so gracious and loving that he, like I said, audibly spoke to me and said, we're going to walk through this now. And then you're going to go out and help others. And like I said, you know, initially I said, no, thank you. <laughs> but here Something I am. Else. <laughs> yeah. Anything but that, that's literally what I said. Anything but that Lord, like, like I said, I got a Rolodex. Pick anything you want, but that, not that, please no. Because I still believe no matter how much he was trying to, to, to hold my hand and say, child, I love you. I see you. It's as far as the east is to the west. Like, you need to know that. You need to know that. You need to walk with me so that you can accept my healing, accept my forgiveness, because I'm trying to give it to you, you know, and I just didn't understand that. And so through that and a number of amazing, amazing things that, that occurred over the following year, um, I did end up finding myself in a, in a healing program through uh, Clearway Clinic in Springfield um, called Save One. Um, and Sheila Harper is just amazing, amazing, and has created this incredible program. And there are a few, you know, there's Forgiven and Set Free, there's Surrendering the Secret, now there's uh, Support After Abortion. Um, and I'll tell you what, I thought that I was healed. I really did. I thought I was good. But walking through a intentional program with the, with the sole purpose of once and for all giving this to the Lord, it literally changed the trajectory of my life. It did. Um, 
And what so ways? what's that? In what ways did it change the direction? Oh my gosh. Of your life? I have, I never felt so free. Like I said, I mm. thought that I, you know, I was able to talk about my abortion, you know, nowhere near compared to how I am now. I would cry every single time. And I, you know, it's still pretty selective about who I spoke with, but, um, you know, I could hear things about abortion. Before then, I couldn't. I couldn't hear the word abortion. I couldn't engage in a conversation about abortion. I couldn't even think about abortion for over a decade. Um, and so all of that was gone. And I wanted to start serving. And I wanted to start serving women who had had abortions, and and, and even more so to try to help women to not end up in that position in the first place. And so to me, I was healed. Right. But it's that piece of that. The Lord wanted more. He, he, you know, when, when, when the Bible tells us that he, he wants to give exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine, that's what it means. You know, I thought I was good, but my thoughts do not compare to the Lord's thoughts and what he had for me and what he has for others through the strength and the courage that he has given me now to be able to do what I'm doing like this, even, um, in order to help others, that's where it's at, you know, and that's the piece that I didn't have until I walked through that program. Yeah. Um, it also helped me to see that there were lots of areas of my life. Like I said, when I spoke about the nail in the coffin, I didn't recognize that until I walked through the healing program. To me, I just thought that I was just this, you know, troubled person that was just destined for a life of, you know, mess, basically, you know, and problems and issues and drama and all this sort of stuff. Um, and, and I didn't, I, I wasn't able to recognize the impact that that had on me, um, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, um, you know, it, it's, um, it impacted so much. It even actually, one of the biggest things that I realized was it was actually even impacting my ability to be all that I wanted and desired to be for the children that I had. Um, there was always sort of this, almost like this, um, this wall between yeah. us that like, I could only get so close. And I mean, I love my children. I would do anything for my children, but there was always this weird, it was almost as if now I think I can say it, there was like a piece of me that I couldn't give them. And the reason I came to, to realize through the healing program was that I had this subconscious thought that like, I took the life of this child. So how on earth can I now pour into fully and completely the lives of the children that I birthed? You know, like in some way I was trying to make amends to this child that I, that I had aborted by, you know, keeping a little bit away from my other children. Um, and I thought something was wrong with me. I would see other moms and like, I would compare myself to them. And I thought it was, I thought something was like wrong with me, you know? And, and, and then I came to realize that that's where the root of it was, which would never have happened if I hadn't gone through Oh, that that's really powerful. Wow. What about the program do you think helped you heal so much? Was it just talking about it, having somebody talk to you about it? What do you think was so beneficial to and integral to that being part of your healing process? all of that okay. <laughs> and, and primarily it's focused right so when you go to college to get a degree could you learn about all of those things outside of college well sure you could uh, you could read some books on your own you could do research online you could do all sorts of things and you could still probably come to the same conclusions however there's just something about being present there's something about showing up for class there's something about having that accountability of um, these are the things we're going to look at this week. And, and then also, you know, knowing that, um, I mean, most of the women, uh, and men who run these programs, um, are post-abortive themselves. So mm -hmm. there's that camaraderie, you know, just like in a 12 step program where it's like, you can do these things on your own. No one says that you can't. And it's not like the Lord's not going to forgive you if you don't walk through forgiven and set free. Um, it's again, it's, it's the exceedingly and abundantly more that the Lord wants to give. And there's just something about showing up with intentionality and purpose to really tackle this to, 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 to in that way, to set your mind on it 
as something that you truly want to overcome and that you want the Lord to walk with you to do that. And having a mentor is the way that I called, called my situation to do that with me. You know, she's able to speak into my life. She's able to pray for me. She's able to pray over me. She's able to be there when those emotions are coming up and I don't know what right. to do with them. When when I'm recognizing these things that on my own, A, I didn't notice, but B, if I was noticing on my own, I don't know what I would have done with them. It, you know, it, it having that sense of community, you know, um, I've also walked through with other women in a group setting, you know, and seeing how they're able to say, oh, you thought that too? Oh, you felt that too? Oh, it's not just me. You know, you feel less alone. And, you know, that's what the enemy wants. He wants to keep us alone. He wants to keep us sheltered. He wants to keep us thinking that we yeah. only need ourselves. Yeah. And so for me, it was just another level that God was taking me to of healing that, um, that I don't believe I could have gotten otherwise. And I'm tremendously grateful for it. Yeah. That community is so powerful. And just having an outside perspective, like you said, that coaching and counseling aspect of it, someone speaking and praying into you. Yeah. That's amazing. So, okay. What, what happened after you walked through that? What next? So it has been quite a journey. <laughs> it has been quite a journey. And to summarize it, the Lord spoke four things over me over the years. Um, it was one step after another, after another of sharing my story in various circumstances. Um, you know, there have been many instances where I've shared my story and it's given someone else the freedom to, to say, Hey, you know what? I had an abortion too. And I've never told anyone. I'm this one woman was in her sixties. Um, and she ended up walking through forgiven and set free. I walked through it with her. Um, she said, I, you know, I just felt compelled at church one day to share my story. And, you know, and, and, and so God just keeps placing me, you know, wherever he is asking me to be. Um, and I'm willing to go, uh, so that it can reach whomever it needs to reach for whatever his plans are really is the simplistic way to put it. But over those years, like I said, first, he said, we're going to walk through this and then you're going to go help others. Then the second thing he spoke over me was, I want you to speak for the men. And so, uh, especially recently, God's been opening doors for me to be able to do that, um, which initially I also was off put by because, as I said, um, well, I didn't get to that part. So he was doing everything right. Okay. And um, when I came home that day uh, to make that appointment at Planned Parenthood, he was working and he came home. He had I had moved him in with me. Um, he came home and I looked him in the face and told him you know, that I was having an abortion and essentially there was nothing that he could do about it. And I don't remember exactly what he said, uh, or frankly, even what I said to him, but I will never, never forget the look of sheer terror on his face, knowing there wasn't anything he could do because that was his child too. And we don't talk about that. We just like to talk about the men who want to leave, right? And they're going to leave these women alone. And what are they going to do? They're going to be, you know, trying to survive with this child, you know, not every man walks away. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get that, that baby on my own. Um, and in my mind, I had no right to just simply say, sorry, but I'm ending this child's life and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? Um, and that's the one piece of my story that I don't know that I'll ever be able to reconcile because we haven't spoken since and I don't know where his life is. And it truly still um, pains me. That part still pains me. And I, I've been praying about it a lot lately. Um, I know I'm forgiven, um, but what pains me is giving me purpose because I want to, I do want to speak for these men, um, because they deserve a voice. Um, they deserve to be heard. Their pain deserves to be heard. Um, you know, they lost a child. Um, and I've spoken to men who are deeply grieved by it, um, years later and yeah. feel like they have no right to say anything at all. And that, yeah, well, we've told them for so long that you don't have a voice in this matter. So, yeah. yeah. So he asked me to speak on that and then, um, and then to how I ended up on Fox news, <laughs> uh, part of that story is that, so I went to the March for life and, um, the second year that I went, I, um, 
I was looking around and I was unsettled in my spirit for some reason. I couldn't figure it out because I was very joyous the second year that I went. The first year was kind of somber. Um, I cried a lot. It was a very emotional, cathartic, you know, um, process for me. The second year I was excited. Um, I had met the women from Embrace Grace the year before. I was going to be with them. I was really just looking forward to meet, seeing so many people in the movement that I had met over the year. And, um, so the fact that I was unsettled, it didn't make much sense. And um, after about an hour or so of feeling this way, it I looked around one more time and recognized that all the faces that I was seeing looked like me, meaning they were all white. And I couldn't figure out why, but it was alarming to my spirit. And I didn't know what to think of it. I didn't know why I was noticing it. I didn't know whatever, anything really about it. Uh, but that evening, I had the privilege of meeting um, Bethany Bomberger. Um, her, she and her husband run an organization called Radiance Foundation. And I found out all about Margaret Sanger and mm -hmm. eugenics and how the abortion industry literally preys on the um, the black community in particular and how their abortion rates are astronomical comparison to the Caucasian population. Um, it, it's I forget what the exact percentages are, but it's alarming the amount of percentage yeah. of black uh, abortions compared to their the population numbers. Um, and it broke me. My heart grieved incredibly. And I prayed and prayed for the Lord to show me, okay, well, what are you asking me to do? You know, once again, you're asking me to, like, I wasn't a male and you're asking me to speak for the males. Now I'm not a black woman and you're, you're grieving my heart over what's happening to their community. What can I do? And in his grace, he introduced me to the incredible Christina Bennett. Um, that's and, how I um, found you. Yes. <laughs> As I follow, I don't know her. I follow her on Instagram, but that's how I found Yeah. She is actually one of my best friends. And um, kind of find out she literally only lives 30 minutes from me. So talk about God. Okay. Because wow. um, I didn't know her. I didn't know she existed. And um, through that beautiful relationship, not only has she helped me to grow in my advocacy and in my voice, um, but she has also in, um, allowed me her, um, she has spoken for me. She has spoken for me in that, um, so Fox News had, uh, had reached out to her and, um, and she said, I have somebody that I think that you should talk to, I think would be great for this. And so, so they called me. Uh, it was pretty funny, actually, um, because when she called me to say, hey, are you available tomorrow for an interview? I'm like, oh, OK, like public access TV or, you know, channel mm -hmm. 30 or whatever. <laughs> and uh, she's like, I'll give the details later. And I'm like, OK. And uh, so like 15 minutes later, she calls me and she's like, OK, so. Um, so, yeah, so it's Fox News. And, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like the Fox News? Me? What? And then, uh, yeah. And then seeing their number come up on my caller ID was, I have to admit, pretty, uh, pretty epic. I, I was like, I uh -huh. wanted to take a screenshot, but I was afraid. I was like, don't, what if you hang up on them? Don't hang up. So anyways, yeah, they, they just, uh, they called me and they said, uh, you know, will you tell us your story? Will you tell us why you do what you do? And, um, and when I did, they, uh, they said, yeah, we, you're exactly what we were looking for. Um, you know, I think, and I'm trying, I, you know, I'm still, I still pray about it constantly because I know that the Lord wants me to use my voice. So, um, you know, again, like I said, so now I've got speak for the, the women, mm -hmm. right? The post-abortive women speak for the women to hopefully help them to, to choose life, then speak for the men, let, let them know that they have a voice. You know, I, I feel like what the Lord has allowed me is to be an encourager, to be someone that it's not necessarily um, that I'm saying something, it's never that I'm saying something, it's all definitely the Lord, but it's not really, I'm, I, I, my goal is to encourage and to equip mm -hmm. 
people to make life affirming choices. And whether that means that you're faced with an unplanned pregnancy, or whether that means that you're faced with the potentiality of sharing your own story, whether that means that you're faced with telling someone that maybe doesn't know that you feel like you could find healing through that, whether you're faced with wondering if you should go through a post-abortive program, like I want to be your cheerleader. I want to be somebody that says, hey, look at me, you know, look at my life because I'm the least of these, right? Like I didn't do anything to get where I got. The Lord brought me here because he has a word for you, not for me, for you. And I'm just a vessel. And so, um, you know, he also spoke over me over the church and, you know, I am not, it's not lost on me that all of these things right now really are, are at the forefront, you know, because we need to, um, we need to be the church. We need to be the church that Jesus wanted us to be the way that he designed the, the church yes. to be like capital C, not little C, yes. not necessarily within the four walls of a building. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus because too many people, myself included, feel like Jesus is the last person that they would go running to. Um, either they don't know him or what they've been told of him was not, you know, not good, frankly. Um, and, I, I want to bring my, my loaves that I have to the table to say, Hey, you're welcome at this table. You're welcome here. Come sit down. You know, um, there's food to be had food that can nourish your soul and your body and your mind and change your life. Um, and so through all of that, that's, that's how God got me here. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite the story. Um, So you feel he's given you kind of these four areas to speak into. And you said that you have had a lot of opportunity to speak with women who have had abortions. Um, I mean, hopefully by sharing your story and other women's sharing theirs, it will give, you know, women courage to seek the help that they need. It'll help normalize that. So with that in mind, can you give us, maybe some tips on interacting or talking with women who've had abortions? Absolutely. I would love to. So it's interesting. Um, One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the woman at the well. And, you know, I resonate with her, right? I've got these, well, technically five children, you know, from, from, you know, different men and, um, and I've been judged and I've been shamed and I've been talked about and I've been ridiculed Mm -hmm. and I have had all of that. Um, and so reading that story, uh, even as a young Christian trying to figure out what, you know, what it even means to be a Christian, what it even means to follow Jesus, it immediately resonated with me. Um, the compassion in Jesus's words, his, his very intentional words to this unnamed woman. Um, and then interestingly, I was in a Bible study one time with a large group of women who were not post-abortive, who didn't have many relationships with men, who didn't have children with different last mm-hmm. names, who, 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 um, whose life was more Christian, right? I'll put that in my little air quotes since you can't see me. And they actually heard, I won't say condemnation, but they heard a different voice of Jesus in that story. And I remember the first time that I actually had an experience. I mean, it was a large group, probably 30 something of us, uh, leaders of a, of a, of a group, um, a very large Bible study. And I remember shaking and feeling like I have to say something right now. And I spoke up and I said, I think, I think you're missing the mark. I don't think that is how he meant those words, you know, cause they were like, well, he said, you know, well, I know that you have these, these husbands and I know that you're not married to the one that you live with. And listen, here's the thing. God doesn't want, abortion. I'm just going to say it. Okay. These babies 
are being knit together in the womb perfectly, fearfully and wonderfully made, whether their mom or their dad realizes that or not, doesn't change it. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for each and every human being. Mm -hmm. So there is truth to the fact that abortion ends life and that the Lord does not want us taking life. We are not the author. Having said that, you, there is nothing, the word tells us there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So your abortion, your story, your pain, your trauma, is not too much for the grace of God to cover. And therefore, should certainly not be too much for us to have space to welcome you in. And if we come with a message only of, frankly, shame and wrongdoing, um, it's like the Bible says, just because something is able to be done, or dare I paraphrase, say, said, doesn't mean it's beneficial or should be. So when we see these women, they need love. They need to be seen. They need to be accepted. Now, there's a difference between acceptance and agreement like we don't have to say that it was a good choice we don't even have to talk about that we just have to let them know that there is hope there is healing and there is forgiveness because unanimously every single post-abortive woman that i have spoken with and they say four in ten women in the church have experienced abortion four in ten so look around look around next Sunday. They need to feel safe to even begin sharing their story. And they're not going to do it if they feel like you're going to come with shock and awe, you know, or like, oh, and, 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 and what I was going to say is unanimously, every single post-aborted woman that I have talked to, or woman that has experienced abortion, um, felt like it's the ultimate sin. There's no, there's no sin bigger. There's, there's, there's nothing you could do in your life that could be worse than ending the life of your child. Um, I even struggle still sometimes feeling like, well, you know, I mean, there is truth to that. No, no, no. The Lord is there and is ready and is waiting. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who say that we want to help these women, whether it's help them to make the choice for life in whatever capacity that looks like for them or after the fact, to help them to find healing and hope, we need to come with love first. We need to come with embracing them. Um, and I believe that that's what Jesus did to that woman at the well. He he told her her story because he needed to very quickly let this woman know who he was. And in his sovereignty, he knew the only way he could do that was to say things that no one else could have known. Because I'll tell you right now, I have women who I know have had an abortion because I'm close with someone that's close with them that's shared with me because they're concerned about them, but in, in, you know, in, um, in privacy. And so I know that these women have had an abortion and no matter how much I say, no matter how much I love, they're still, they're still holding it so tight that they won't let it out. They won't let people in to talk to them. So we need to do better. We do. We really do. Um, and, you know, one of the ways that I definitely want to, to suggest is um, pregnancy resource centers, of course, and Embrace Grace. Um, They're one of the best organizations out there. Um, and, and I wish that more churches and would, would become involved with them and therefore the pregnancy centers can get connected with the churches and the churches can get connected with Embrace Grace and we can do this whole thing. We can, because that's, that's what we really need. I mean, changing the laws around abortion, I, I do believe are important, is important. Um, I didn't used to, and now yeah. I see the value in it. Um, 
but ultimately it's hearts it's hearts that need um that need yeah, to be healed so that need hope that that um that yeah. that's how we and reach that people. comes down to i think a lot um how we talk about the issue that was a huge eye opener for me when I started. Well, I started out volunteering here first and eventually came on staff, but in getting to know women who are either considering it or have had an abortion. And like you said, hearing their stories, it changes you. It makes you, I mean, hopefully it makes you more compassionate, but it just realizes, okay, like, yes, abortion is, it's horrible and it's sad and it's heartbreaking. But we've got to be able to talk about this in a way where these women feel like they can talk about it and find healing and find forgiveness so that, you know, it's just not constantly, their life's not just constantly one trauma on top of the other and having to live with that. And so yeah. we, I feel like, you know, the the church and just people and individuals, we've got to learn to like, yes, still advocate very strongly. Um, yep. But let's maybe think about how we're presenting the information and how we're talking about it so that people feel like they have a place they, to go and learn about it and get the healing yes. that they need. So yeah, you're right on. Yes. And I love that yes. story about the woman at the well and that you brought that up and that, yeah, I don't think Jesus meant that in a condemning way. He, I think he, he was letting her know who no. he is and he's saying like, Hey, like I see you and I know you and I still want you. So it's powerful. Amen. Well, I think that was a good way, a good spot to end on. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's very powerful. I hope that a lot of women have a chance to listen to it and that it brings courage to them so that they can find healing for themselves as well. So thank you. I truly do too. I truly do too. All right. Thanks. Thank you for having me. All right, friends. Thanks so much for joining us on The Beat Goes On today. We hope we've given you some things to think about. If you are interested in helping the pro-life work at Piedmont Women's Center, here are three quick and easy ways you can do that. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Take a screenshot and share the podcast with your friends on social media. Remember to tag us if you do. Or you can visit PiedmontWomenCenter.org to make a one-time or monthly donation. You make our pro-life work possible. Until next time.